Once again, I'm glad that you all have come today. Happy Easter. Uh, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the elders here at the church, and uh, it's a pleasure to get to, uh, to preach to you today. I'm going to uh, give us a couple just uh, highlights and announcements that things are going on at the church. We have a compassion ministry uh, coming up that you can still sign up for on April 24th. There's a foundations class on May 1st. That's for anyone who's not a member, who may be pursuing membership or also just interested to find out about the church. And then, of course, community groups, which we talk about every week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. It's really where the life of the church is going to be experienced, really where um, you'll see this gospel transformation that we talk about each and every Sunday. I also would love uh, to, for you to, to fill out a Connect card, which is there in front of you. Uh, you can uh, take it, you can drop it in one of the baskets up here on stage. There's a black box over by the resource wall. Please fill those out. Members, regular attenders, even you visitors, because those are there so we know how we might be able to pray for you or how we might be able to serve you uh, as of late. So please do that. It's, it's a tool for us. I promise we won't uh, show up at your front door uh, trying to talk to you, but we just want to know how we can care for you uh, dearly. We're a church that's highly relational and wants to know uh, everybody who, who comes in the door. So please fill those out. Again, you can drop them up here on the stage or at the resource wall. Uh, as I mentioned, the resource wall, all of those books there are free. Please take them. Uh, they're there to help you uh, understand what Scripture says, because the more we understand about the Bible, the more we know about Christ, the greater love we will have for Him. So that's why we provide those resources, so please uh, take advantage. Um, uh, let me pray for us, and we'll, we'll get into the sermon, all right? Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Lord, that you are um, the, the resurrection, that you are the power of resurrection, that you are the one who gives life and uh, gives it to us eternally. Lord, thank you so much for the promise that we have there, that we can rely on your word because you are good. And let us uh, worship you today. And please give us hearts of deeper and greater faith today. Lord, we love you and trust you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So I'm grateful again that you've chosen to be here today to, to worship with us here at Easter because I believe that it's one of the most important of all the holidays. It's one of the most important holidays because it specifically is when the church celebrates Christ's resurrection, right? One of the greatest, greatest times, greatest truths and promises in all of Christian belief. So today I'm going to be preaching on 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. So if you would please open your Bibles there. It'll be up on the screen, but we love to open our Bibles because that's where the Word is written down. And if you're going to use one of the Bibles in front of you, it'll be page 903. So 903 if you're going to use one of the Bibles in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, please take that one with you. Take it home. It's a gift from us to you. We want you to take it because we want everyone to have God's Word. So you don't just rely on what the guy up here says or what somebody else around you might be saying, but you can actually hear and understand what God Himself says about life and salvation. So with that invitation, let's go ahead and read 1 Corinthians 15, again 1 through 11. And here at Maranatha, what we do is we stand in reverence for God's Word when it's read. So if you would, please stand with me if you're able. And I will read for us the beginning of here in chapter 15. This is what it says. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, 
that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried and He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve, then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of them, most of whom are still alive, those, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared also to me." For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am with you. I am what I am. I am the grace, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. This is the word of God. Have a seat. Let me pray for us again. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we have it. We can come and hear from you on a daily basis. And I pray, Lord, you give us a thirst for that. Lord, we learn about your son, Jesus. We want to honor him with our lives that you've given us. And I pray, Lord, that we, we seek after you. Again, please today in this moment, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to receive this truth. We trust you and we love you. It's in your son's name we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So as I said just a minute ago, Easter Sunday is the greatest of holidays for the Christian because of what we are specifically celebrating. Amen. Every Easter, I would imagine that churches all over the world are talking about the exact same topic, right? They're talking about the exact same thing, and that is the reality of the resurrection. Now, there are all sorts of scriptures that we could pull from in the New Testament as well as the Old to talk about the resurrection. But this year, I decided to talk on 1 Corinthians 15 because this chapter specifically provides us with one of the most detailed explanations of the resurrection along with what it means for us along with what it means for us who are the church. Because, you see, the resurrection is the most important belief for the church to cling to, otherwise your faith is empty. Right? Otherwise your faith is empty. John MacArthur said this, he said, Just as the heart pumps life-giving blood to every part of the body, so the truth of the resurrection gives life to every other area of gospel truth. Truly, it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ which proves Christianity to be true. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ which proves Christianity to be true and guarantees for us that He is who He says that He is, that He is actually the Christ. Without Christianity, or without, without the resurrection, Christianity would just be wishful thinking. It would just be wishful thinking, or at best, good moral platitudes to live by, which sadly our culture, our world is, is, has attempted to, to turn it into. Rather, Christianity stands on objective, eternal truths that, yes, speak of a gracious and merciful and available Savior, but that Savior came to divide the world. And that division is seen between those who believe that Jesus is who he says that he is and those who don't. This is what the gospel is. There is, it does cause a division. Now, again, that division comes between those who believe and those who don't, which is why this passage, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11, is so important. It's so important for us to understand this passage because it provides for us an apologetic for the resurrection. 
right? If it's the most important belief that we as Christians need to stand upon, then we should at least understand it or, or have this apologetic for it, which proves that Jesus is the promised Messiah. These verses give us a direct defense for the reality of the resurrection, which is why we're going to cover it today. And in this passage, uh, there are four different ways that give us that direct defense, and here they are. Here are the four evidences of the resurrection found in verses 1 through 11. There's the church in verses 1 through 2, the scriptures 3 through 4, the eyewitnesses, and then the unique witness. So let's look at the first one. Let's look at the first piece of evidence, which is the testimony of the church. Let me reread verses 1 through 1 and 2 to refresh our memory. Paul said this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now what isn't explicitly mentioned here in verses 1 through 2 is the word church. All right, I, I realize that. But we have to remember that Paul is not writing to an individual, right? Rather, he's writing to the church at at whole. He's reading to the the whole church there in the city of Corinth. So when we read the the word you, when he says, now I would remind you, when he says the word you, we should read that as a plural you, all right? You as in you who are the corporate body of believers. And what Paul is talking about or what he's, he's telling them about is in fact nothing new to them. That's why he's reminding them, right? This is nothing new to them. Because what Paul is about to say is something that they've heard before. It's something that they've already believed upon, which is why, again, he calls it a reminder. So here's the point. This is why that matters. Here's the point. Here is why this is such a strong bit of evidence for the fact that the resurrection actually happened. Paul is talking to a collective group of people whom already consider themselves to be Christians. They are the church. Therefore, they have already had their spiritual eyes and ears opened to this truth that Jesus has proved himself to be who he said that he was. Their own proof is the resurrection. They already believe this to be true. Again, this is why Paul is reminding them. Just the same, if it didn't happen, the church would have never existed. So you see, the church, just in the fact that its very existence is there, is a very tangible proof that Christ is who he says that he is, as the resurrection is real. Here's the second bit of evidence. It's the testimony of Scripture. Look at verses 3 and 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. The truth of the gospel, which has been preached from the beginning of time, has never come to anyone by their own authority. All right? Both in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament, all of that truth was delivered to the people as God's word because anything that is there came from him. It is always and has always been and will always be based in his authority. 
Therefore, what Paul has delivered to the church is of first importance because it comes from God. He nor we today are allowed to reframe or uh, redesign what is told to us by God, which is what Paul is emphasizing here. He says twice that this truth is in accordance with Scripture. This truth about the resurrection is in accordance with the Scripture. It's been, it's been foretold and it's been proven. We don't have enough time to go through all the different passages that link all of that together, that, that link all the different areas where Jesus and Paul and the other disciples uh, reference the Old Testament when speaking about Jesus or all the different messianic promises. But I want to give you a few that you might be able to take home and study for yourself today, or, or maybe you can uh, talk through them with your community group this week. Here they are. Genesis 22, 8 and 14. You can write those down. Genesis 22, 8 and 14. Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, and Hosea 6, verses 1 through 3. Those are just some to get going. There's plenty more. All you have to do is is sort of follow that string that continues to, to lace its way through all of Scripture. Now, to go along with that, As we think about who Paul is actually talking to, he's talking to to people who were Jewish, who were Jewish by by, by nation, by country, by by who they were raised by. Now they consider themselves Christians. So the fact of the matter is that no Jewish person who believed God's word to be true would have been surprised that the promised Messiah or Christ was destined to die, be buried, and then come back to life. Because again, it's based in Scripture. This is what all of Scripture is talking about. That's exactly what God's revelation has been talking about from the very beginning, showing us from the very moment that sin entered the world. When Adam and Eve were cursed by God because of their sin, he also at that time declared to them that he was going to send a Savior for them, one who would make all the wrong things right again. That's in Genesis 3. From the very beginning, the gospel has been proclaimed. Now, again, there's a lot more to explain there, but we have to move on. So here's the third piece of evidence, which is the testimony of the witnesses. All right, the testimony of the witnesses. This is five through seven. And then he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of them are whose, whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the, then to all the apostles. There are four different appearances that Paul points us to. Jesus, in his resurrected state, appeared to Cephas, who's also known as Peter. He's the guy who wrote First and Second Peter. He's also the guy who uh, preached uh, at Pentecost, and 3,000 people uh, came to faith. He went to the 12 disciples at different times. He then appeared to over 500 people. That means there were 500 people in one city who could corroborate this truth about Jesus Christ and his resurrection. All in one place. And then finally to James, who is thought to be James's half-brother who wrote the book of James also and was a leader in the church of Jerusalem. Now, each of these appearances, they hold special meaning. There's, there's good information to, to, to mine out and sort of find these great nuggets of truth that, that help us understand the relationship between them and Jesus and the resurrection. Um, so I want to encourage you again to go and study those. There's so much here. That's why we can preach about it constantly. We can never exhaust the truth about Jesus Christ. There's so much to know, so please go study that. 
try to, to look into those different relationships of, of Peter and the other disciples and James and, and the, the 500, all the different witnesses that saw Jesus. Go and look those up. Study them with somebody from your community group because, trust me, it will edify your soul. But what I'm going to talk about today in, in regards to this third evidence is, um, is why that matters. Why that matters that there are those witnesses, the fact that there are eyewitnesses to the risen Christ. And it matters because at the higher levels of, of education and study, even today, there are multiple angles at which people look at history in a way to try to understand whether or not that this certain event truly happened. In, in the court of law, there's all kinds of evidence that begins to be presented as a way to prove or disprove that something happened or that it didn't happen. But throughout history, as well as in every court of law, the most reliable source is oftentimes eyewitness, right? The most reliable source, the most reliable way to prove that something actually happens is to hear from responsible and honest eyewitness accounts, which is what Paul is utilizing here, right? If I would come to you and I told you something absolutely amazing happened to me yesterday, like just absolutely unbelievable, you might believe me, right? Maybe based on our relationship, But what if it was so out there that you just really couldn't grasp hold of how that was possible, but then I told you that your best friend was there, right? And you could actually go and talk to to him or her, and they uh, they could show you or tell you that it actually happened because they witnessed it as well. You would then likely believe us. You would probably do just that. Well, there were more than 500 people that Paul was pointing the people in Corinth to, and he told them that they're still alive. You can go and talk to those people who actually witnessed. Don't just take my word for it, take their word for it. More than 500 people were still alive that they could talk to, which means that those people in Corinth who might have doubted the resurrection, they could, in fact, talk to those people in order to find out what's true. Now, for me, personally, these 500 people are one of the more convincing arguments for the resurrection. The fact that these people who weren't part of the inner circle of the disciples, who really had no real reason to hold to this truth, I mean, think about it. What would it purchase them to hold on to this lie? What would it purchase them to prop up this false truth about this this Messiah that everybody wanted so badly? Persecution? Financial ruin? Loss of relationship, family, strife, right? The only thing that that truth would have purchased them is eternal life. What were they getting? They were getting eternal life. They were getting eternal life with God, in fact. Okay, so here's the fourth piece of evidence that Paul gives us and to the people at Corinth, the testimony of a unique witness. This is verses 8 through 10. He says, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. One of the necessary requirements to be an apostle is to have witnessed the the, the resurrected Christ. It was a necessary requirement Uh, qualifier to be an apostle, which is why Paul refers to himself as one who is untimely born. 
You see, Paul learned that he was an enemy of God's because his job was to persecute God's church. He was an enemy of God. He was there. His job was to punish and imprison Christians. We even have it documented in the book of Acts that he oversaw the execution of Christians who didn't comply with his orders. But while he was on his way to continue that work, Jesus appeared to him also. Jesus appeared to him and he transformed him. He was then no longer an enemy, but now an adopted son. Just like it's promised to you and me. Now, Paul's testimony is unique because all of this happened after the resurrection. In fact, all of this happened after Christ's ascension. If you know sort of the gospel story, Christ died, was buried, was resurrected, and then 40 days later, he ascended back to heaven. This is after that. This is why Paul's, uh, the appearance to Paul is so absolutely unique. But Paul's testimony is unique because prior to this, he was not a believer. Christ, as he comes to us, when he, when he provides us with salvation, we are not a believer. We are an enemy just like Paul. But we are then made adopted. We are then brought into the kingdom family through Christ's grace and mercy and love. And at that moment, his convictions changed forever. His convictions changed from that day forward. They were changed forever. He knew that he didn't deserve what he was given but he also understood that this newly found life and faith came with a purpose, which is why he mentions that he was willing to honor God by doing the work which the, we, the church, are all called to do. Verse 11, whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. The life that we've been given comes with purpose. The new life that's been provided for us by Christ comes with purpose. It is to continue on in his mission, to preach the good news so people can hear, so they can believe in Christ. Easter is fun. I love Easter because we get to celebrate, because everybody gets dressed up. Many of you have paid me nice compliments. Why don't you do it all the time? Well... Easter is fun, and it should be. This is the greatest of holidays for the Christian because we celebrate the resurrection with our families, but our joy needs to be found in Christ alone, right? It needs to be found in Christ alone because this world is not our home. It's why we are able to to have our hearts ache with Andrew and Kaylee. The difficulty of this broken world is why we can, because we have faith in Christ. We know Christ. We believe in the resurrection. We can ache and we can mourn. We can bear the burdens with one another because we have the promise, praise be to God, of new life. We have that promise of new life. A life where we will be given perfect bodies like Christ. A life that will last forever because of Christ. A life that will be eternally spent with our Lord King, who is Jesus the Messiah. The one promised all the way back in Genesis at the beginning of creation. He is that promise. He is that one who came to defeat the serpent and and be raised up on the third day. The resurrection is our foundational proof because if it weren't true, then nothing else would be. But because it is... Everything that we hope for will one day become what it was meant to be. 
Because the resurrection is true, the resurrection is real, we can understand and believe that everything that Jesus promised will come true. That the way that God originally desired for creation to exist in, it will return. It will be the way it was meant to be. Now today, I don't want to leave you with my words on this. There's greater promise in the scriptures, but I want to leave you with this truth, this, this truth about life and this life and the next from God's word. And it's at the end of chapter 15. Chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 50 through 58, say this. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the, imperishable, or does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet... For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on the immortality. When the perishable puts on imperishable and mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Maranatha, because of Christ, that is true of us. We have the promise of resurrection because Christ is the first fruits. We get to follow after him because of his grace and mercy and love for us. What a great gift we have that we get to worship this king that we're able to know. If you would, please pray with me. Father, thank you for the accomplished hope of the resurrection. There's nothing more that we need in this world than to know you to be loved by you. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us and that you've even given us a way of evidence that you are who you said that you are. I pray, Lord, that you give us greater faith, that you ignite within us this reality and that you, 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 you give us a vision to know that where we were, but now where we are in your kingdom family, sons and daughters of the, of the one most high. Lord, strengthen us, empower us, Give us the ability to walk in this broken world with joy, with peace and security, things that this world cannot give us. But through your Son, you have provided all of them to us. Lord, thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for being what sustains our life and the fact that we get to be with you forever. Thank you for the faith we have, Lord. Please continue to keep us united as a church. Lord, we want to be a testimony as you have given us your spirit that guarantees our salvation with one another. Thank you, Lord. We trust you and we love you. It's in your son's name we pray these things in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.